the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and with me today is Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you again. And you, Jared. So this is our 14th episode of this podcast, a continuing conversation. And for this episode, Paul, you met with Simon Hamilton. That's right, and Simon Hamilton is a senior DUP MLA, the former finance minister, also former health minister. Um, and uh, yeah, Simon met with me in a, a slightly noisy Europa Hotel cafe bar where yeah. the piano was chinking away in the background along with glasses chinking. So excuse the background noise. That's all right. So it's only a bit easy last time on the way around. Uh, but you, you touched on, lo- Simon talked on lots of things. And the first thing that he talks about is that civic society or civil society should be strengthened. Yes, uh, but he did so in uh, a more nuanced way than most of our interviewees have done. I mean, uh, Simon was the first person who, rather than simply saying yes to the question, you know, how how should we strengthen civil society, said yes, but. Mm. And the yes, but was, well, it needs to be representative. And he's saying that unionists in particular have concern that the way they feel that civil society has been used against them to challenge yeah. them rather than perhaps to call out where civil society thinks individual parties are right and other individual parties are wrong. Um, and also that it shouldn't simply be the great and the good who are wheeled out um, in order to say to political parties in general, we'll get into government and do things. You know, they need to, in his view, uh, be more nuanced in saying, well, you know, what's going on here and and also be more representative of society as a whole is what his view is saying. Yeah, and he did call for civil society to be more frank and suppose they they help politicians more. He he does recognise that politicians at times do you need the support of civil society in order to get some stuff done? Yeah, he's saying uh, civil society, uh, as it currently sits, is is avoiding allocating blame, but should be, uh, to quote him, calling things sometimes. Yeah, okay. And like most other people that we've talked to, Simon also talks about citizens' assemblies. Mm, that's right. And, and perhaps slightly inconsistently in terms of what he's saying about civil society, he's saying, well, you know, citizens' assemblies can be a good thing. Yeah, and and the reference point is with health reform. As I say, he's a former minister for health, and he knows how difficult it is to reform health because logically, we have probably too many hospitals. Mm. But uh, can a politician call for the closing of a, a, a hospital? We know how difficult it was when Barbara Devrune called for additional maternity provision in West Belfast, where people felt that this was actually, you know, a, a fairly narrow perspective, and she was. Uh, providing additional support to people who supported her. And so, you know, you have politicians uh, being given blame for the way they take decisions with the health provision. And it would be very difficult for a health minister to lead a conversation in which led to the closure of some services. But clearly what Simon's saying is that, uh, you know, if you have citizens' assemblies looking at it, then in the same way the citizens' assemblies dealt with the tough issues around abortion and same-sex marriage, then actually they could perhaps look at health reform and make a, a, a reasoned ba- view based around evidence. OK. Well, let's hear the interview with Simon now. I'm joined now by uh, Simon Hamilton, DUP MLA and former finance minister. Simon, thank you very much indeed for doing this with us. No problem, um, Head straight into it. How do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress, in your opinion? Well, I, I think that... Um 
I think if we can start off by saying that I think yes we should be strengthening or seeking to strengthen civil society I'm not entirely I don't like the phrase civil society even on of, of itself and, and, and I think you know I may not be alone within unionist ranks and in, in, in not being comfortable with the phrase because of perhaps previous connotations of what civil I mean I think the first time I ever heard the sort of phrase civil society used was in and around the time of the sort of Belfast agreement and obviously things were fairly charged and heated back then and um, a lot of unionists particularly those who were uh, anti agreement at the time and and you know probably still hold that sort of position um, would have seen civil society as something that would have been or civic society as something that would have been used against them to encourage um, you know them to accept a deal or an arrangement or an agreement that they didn't maybe necessarily like you know it and sort of the uh, the old phrase of the great and the good you know is one that would often be attributed um, so I think we need to be careful in talking about civil society that we're not just talking about the same sort of usual suspects this people who would be or maybe a new generation of usual suspects uh, of who would be in that sort of category of the great and the good who would pop out from time to time um, to tell people what they were doing wrong and what they should be doing right in their opinion so I think we need to, need to be to yeah, careful yeah, it would be, you know, be drilled down a bit into yeah, that yeah, really yeah. so where is the concern and who is the concern with I, I think it's I mean I think perhaps you would you would even have seen perhaps an example of it more recently with uh, probably pre-Christmas with the um, Prime Minister's um, withdrawal agreement and um, the production of it and then all of a sudden um, there was a sort of coordinated group of people coming forward uh, making points. Now I'm not, I'm being very careful and, and, and I seek to be very careful in saying that that's not, it's not that people wouldn't have had legitimate interests or concerns or a point to make, very valid points to make. They did uh, and they should be making those. I think very often for, for, for many in the past, and I think there's a little bit of a legacy of this, that it would be seen to be, and, and indeed, indeed you heard some language around that time. I think my, my, my good friend, my old mentor, Sammy uh, Wilson, was um, quite strident in some of the comments that he made around this. And that comes from, uh, and however Sammy does it and says it, it comes from a sort of an age-old um, concern that whenever sometimes there's, a, there's an issue to be pushed forward or some sort of deal or agreement or arrangement that there is a, a group of the great and the good civic society sometimes as it might be called who can be relied upon by by government uh, government in london to you know be there say whatever is required so there is sometimes some suspicion so feel of that the they ca- would... a cadre of civil society there's a sort of there is a suspicion i suspect it's probably no less. i mean i've i've, I've sat with uh, republicans and heard them say similar things about and, and perhaps their experience is, is actually quite similar because they would also be described as being on the at times uh, derogatorily as, as being on the extremes as being uh, marginalised out in the edge of politics and not in that big middle um, um, which is probably a much smaller middle now in Northern Ireland um, but you know I think they would have similar experience I don't think it's just solely a sort of a unionist concern but maybe maybe it was in my consciousness was something that probably as I said did it back probably to the agreement on whatever I was getting involved in politics but I think it's probably something that's been there a lot longer so you, you'd feel that a lot of the people who would be described as representing civil groups are actually either puppets of the government or else self-appointed oh. and, well, and not actually I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go, legitimate representatives. I, w- I, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go so far as to say puppets uh, of a government. You know, I'm not saying that others wouldn't use that language. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's that's not 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 fair. Um, I think you're right around the sort of the, the representation side of it, um, and that's where, and I think we have struggled. I think I think also perhaps some of that criticism is that. And, and again, this will probably work both ways, but I can only really probably give you it best from, from a unionist perspective, from, from my own perspective, that that civil society in Northern Ireland, and this is why I think it does need strengthening, um, isn't very good, in my view, at coming out and it, it, it will pass comment or pass judgment or express an opinion or a view from time to time, um, whenever it's maybe easy, whenever it's a sort of a fairly straightforward set of circumstances they don't tend to come out and be critical um, and I'm sure this is a case on both sides and somebody from a different political perspective might argue the contrary um, um, from, or the same but from their perspective um, that whenever things are difficult and whenever it's and, and, and you can think back and we don't have to go over um, all of the various cases, there's too many of them nearly go back where uh, even when we've been in government Sinn Féin and the DUP have had some tensions or some difficulties and, and blame, if, if we were to sit back objectively and um, I've had the time over the last couple of years to maybe reflect on some of these a little bit more hopefully objectively um, or more objectively than when it was in the, the, the middle of it all um, blame is, is quite clearly should have been more apportioned to one side than the other but civic society or civil society um, would tend to either not engage and say nothing or just sort of plaguing all your houses, or maybe not even as strong as plaguing all your houses, just you know, just get it sorted out. Um, so I think the contribution, and, and maybe this almost maybe runs contrary as I'm saying it to the point I was making before, but if civil society is to make a contribution and it is to be valuable, then it has to be, I think it has to be more, less of this sort of, oh, would you, would you just sort your problems out? And actually calling things sometimes and being a bit more clear, I think they will gain respect and authority. I think particularly, uh, and they're part of it, and sometimes, and, and, and this can maybe be seen as a bit of a controversy too, I think our, our church leaders in particular are part of civil society. I would, I would consider them as part of it. Maybe others mightn't or might want them to be. Um, and they in particular, I think, have a role. Um, you know, the role for, for, for the business community is, is a very different one. Sometimes their interests will be the same and they will align align um, but you know there there are things that church leaders for example you take that example can say with an authority um, that is absolutely consistent with what they do and what makes them tick um, but can maybe be used to call out politicians government whenever they're not doing things correctly or properly and, 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 and be a voice for people in a way that I think they have shied away from and I can understand that and there's a whole discussion about why that's the case but you could, you could take that and I'm sure you could apply it to the business sector, the third sector and others as well um, but I think if they're going to make a contribution it needs to be maybe a bit more frank than, than it is or has been um, maybe a bit more partial sometimes and by partial I don't mean always picking the side of, of Sinn Féin or the DUP if you, if you take that example but just where something's right say that it's right and where something's wrong say that it's wrong and I think they don't have the respect or haven't always had the respect that perhaps they deserve or they should have because they haven't done that they've just been um, I always think of a back it sounds like I'm picking on the church leaders but I, I always back to a friend of mine um, 
you know, once said that it isn't a political crisis. He joked to me that it was not a political crisis in Northern Ireland until church leaders issue a joint statement. You know, and I think that, in, a, in its own way, kind of sums up maybe the political view of what these these type of interventions are. And, and in truth, I think the, the, it's, it shouldn't just be about interventions. It should be about, and that shouldn't be the rule, really. It shouldn't be just sort of, it shouldn't just be calling out bad behaviour or, you know, calling for the... Uh, something being done differently, or just would you all just wise up up there? Um, it should be about they should be part of that process of trying to create a common good in Northern Ireland because they are part of the whole. It's not just about the public. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be politically led, and, and if it's the work, politicians need to be at the heart of it. But they are absolutely whether it's business or community groups or charity sector or the churches, they are absolutely and ought to be part of shaping that common good, which should be what we should be striving for. I know it, it sounds like an alien planet, given where we are politically at this moment in time, but I still have some hope. And they have a, I think they have a role sometimes in being a bit more frank and honest and pushing the boundaries a little bit more than sometimes our politicians can, can be. And when you look back on the Civic Forum, which obviously wasn't a success, I mean, mm-hmm. how do you reflect on that? You could be very impolite about it, but um, it's so... It's so, it's so distant now, you know, and I think there's there's absolutely no way that it's not that that, that that something like that couldn't work, but it was so unrepresentative. Uh, um, it was. I don't think people knew of it as existence. It was. I, mean, I don't think. I think we would all struggle to name one single thing that they did. Never mind one single good thing that they did. Um, um, people might say that about Stormont as well, but you know it was it, it, it was not something that was there were not people who were clearly identified with it. There weren't. Uh, I mean, it was. I think it was. You can understand the principle and the idea behind it, but it just was it was totally anonymous. Uh, wasn't representative, um, and nobody really, I think, understood what its purpose was. Was, was you know what, what what was it? How was it going to evolve and change? It wasn't a check on the assembly. It couldn't be a check on the assembly. Um, and I think there are far, far better, or there ought to be far better ways in which that voice can be. And I'm saying, because it was, because it was sort of appointed. Um, you know, it's hard to get that balance. You know, how do you, how do you get? You can't have it elected because then it loses that sort of aspect of it but you can't appoint, just by purely appointing it as well then it's like you run the risk of oh it's so and so's place man or woman and, uh, you know, and what about the citizens assemblies in the south where they've been well, drawn on a fairly random think, basis yeah I think I, I, I'm not as I'm not I'm not hostile to and I've, and I've spoken to people like Stephen Agnew who, who um, have been advocating and pushing for them from here in Northern Ireland and, and he and I have, have talked and I've talked to him about some of the concerns that the unionists clearly have and, and, and maybe even less the unionists maybe you know certainly members of my own party who have a very strong faith um, and the concerns that they have that as they view what has happened in the south and the issues that citizens, citizens assemblies have been focusing on or at least the high profile ones and I think that's the Maybe that's the point, you know. I think everybody sees the sort of high-profile ones around social issues, 
and maybe doesn't see the, the majority of other work that they're doing on a range of different very dull, very boring things. Um, so there is a concern. There is a so the concerns amongst unions would be, for example, how they were used in the south in terms of same-sex marriage yeah, and reproductive uh, rights, rather yes, than cor- necessarily correct. Yes, right. dealing well, with interface yeah. co- conflict, for example. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. Would these be used for a, a narrow but obviously important in, in the minds of many set of social issues that um, many believe that are better discussed and agreed in the assembly? And I know that others would say, you know, those advocates for citizens' assembly say, well, it's not mutually exclusive. It's a way of getting a sense of where people are. So I, look, I, I think I, I probably I mean, the one in North London at the moment, of course, is about social care. Yeah, and and I think that there are, and and I, and I that's where I think there is. It, they shouldn't be dismissed instantly just because you don't like what some other jurisdiction was doing with them and how they were maybe used or, or your perception of how they were used doesn't mean that you shouldn't abandon the principle completely without exploring it a little further because there are and, and you mentioned the social care focus and I, I know from the time in the health department that there are a range of issues which you you think you, you you know the answer or you think you know the answer but executing them in a way in which the public understand get it and are on board with is a different matter entirely so for example health reform where there's a Correct. need to close hospitals but you wouldn't necessarily be able to persuade the public because yeah. they just see you, it's losing services yeah you see yeah and, and, and even recently there in the last number of days around stroke services and and you know the ultimate objective of that is to get a fewer number of 24 hour a day seven days a week stroke services where you can get the best outcome in the world um but that means moving services around. My own local paper has a headline that you know, the local hospital is going to lose a service, but yeah, it's, if, if it moves ahead, you'll get a far better one three miles up the road. Um, so it's not that it, it can't be an education process, a citizens' assembly, because you don't you know, you don't have everybody there, and unless they're going all out and evangelising wonderfully around the country, it's not going to work like that. But what you get is a sense of. Um, how do people think about it? Because people think about these issues in a far different way to politicians think about it or how politicians think that people think about it. So it can also be quite educational in the reverse where just listening to people and you get an understanding of what, what the fear, what the concern is and therefore how you need to present the case which is, you know, there, there are, in a lot of these health reform areas, there is only one answer. But how you present that answer, you only get one shot at it. But it's also because it. of the loss of trust in politicians, Cur- yeah. because the public would feel Absolutely, yeah. more comfortable if yeah. this random group of people reach that conclusion rather than elected politicians. Yeah, and yes, and I and I and I, and I, and I, I see that point absolutely. And, and and I always, you know, when I was again when I was in, in health, I always thought that it was far far better whenever we were making some of these issues. And I, I didn't have to address that many of them. I was just there for a year. But we always thought that, um, maybe this sounds a bit sort of trivialising it, but you know, it was far better that, that someone, doctor in a white coat and a stethoscope around their neck was making the point than I was making the point. Um, because Northern Ireland being Northern Ireland, well, it would, would be the case anywhere. People would just look at me and say, well, he's at his work. There's something going on. There's some angle to this. And I could be saying exactly the same things as the, the medic was saying, but there was a trust. There was a... And, and I think... Like, that's not the case in every issue. Um, people want to hear from their politicians, um, but there are certain issues, like those sorts of issues, like around health, where you know that having that expert. I know we're all meant to. Michael Gove tells us nobody wants to listen to experts anymore, but there is still there are a lot of issues where people want to hear somebody who knows what they're talking about, has lived it, has worked in that area, in that field, is an expert. Um, and there is a lot more trust there than there is in, in politics. So there, there is a space clearly for civic society, civil society, 
to play but it's not I, I think it needs to be somebody said to me not long, not long ago less about sort of less second-rate political commentary and a little bit about more about helping politicians to shape that common good and then how to make sometimes help and this is a big thing and politicians aren't always keen to admit that they need help but to help to shape that not just to shape it but to make it a reality as well and there are any number of areas whether it's in health or in peace building or wherever it might be where we need a lot of help and it sounds as if your concern as much as anything is about the validity of the representative quality of people yeah and, and, and I think we're very resistant to creating an industry of people who just seem to sort of you know always appear to I mean that's that's where it's 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 not for me it's not just about um, sort of self-appointed or appointed heads of various sectors or industries within sectors or groups or whatever it might be it's about it's maybe the layer below actually you know the practitioners the people who are in the field every day when I'm thinking again particularly about the likes of health but you know there are other areas too where that would be very relevant changing faces change different people um, not just the same people all the time and I think that's where you know there's probably all uh, the, the lesson of the past around say the civic forum and other attempts at, at, at engaging with civil society is that it, it is as I use the phrase I used before the usual suspects who appear from, from time to time more broadly, yeah. how do you think we should achieve a move towards more shared and integrated society? Well, I, I think I think that uh, I think that um, we haven't. I think certainly it is the case that if you reflect back on a lot of good work was done over the ten years that devolution was there and. Uh, power sharing executive was in place um, and we can't dismiss that and some of that was some of that was sim symbolic yeah but symbolism is important as part of the world and there were a lot of steps that were taken that were courageous that were brave that showed a desire at the, at the top to, to try to move things forward to try to make a difference in practical terms did we do enough no no we didn't um, but that again isn't to dismiss a lot of the good work that was going on I think we're, I think we're all impatient for change, and, and particularly with the twentieth anniversary of the, the agreement last year, people were sort of asking, well, why are we not much further on than we are? Well, I think if you step back and Coley and a lot of the assessment at the time, I thought it was, I actually thought the the anniversary of it was was broadly well handled, and people were in, and instead of being acrimonious given where we are at the moment over a range of different issues, there was a, a lot of thoughtfulness about what was going on and. and one of the things that came through very clearly was that people were saying, like, this is not, yes, it's 20 years, and wouldn't you love to be further on, and maybe we should be further on, but this is a long, 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 long process here. And, you know, I think we probably hadn't taken collectively the time to sort of sit back and say, you know, this is a 50-year job probably here. And nobody wants to hear that it's a 50-year job, but that, that's maybe at the, that's at the, the end of maybe of the scale. Here. So this is a long-term job. I don't think that we, I don't think that we, we probably did do enough to um, prioritise it politically and that isn't to say because that's what I said what I said at the start that isn't to say that we didn't think that it was important and if you go back and look at the, the history of the executive um, 
there were times where there were there's maybe fits and starts almost you know there were times where we were very good and there were lots of things and there were lots of gestures and symbolic things and there was a bit of substance then in behind it as well sometimes that 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 was around whenever there were incidents that fueled that you know so uh, you know the murder of Roland Kerr for example you know was a time whenever um, there was and, and the, the two corporals at, at, at uh, or not two corporals sorry the um, two soldiers at sappers at uh, Mazarine and there were times when there were incidents that there was a coming together and there was a sort of a, like we're not we're not going to be uh, beaten by this and we're going to push forward but that maybe was too there wasn't any there wasn't maybe as much evidence of that happening in between times and I think that and this and this sounds maybe a bit ridiculous saying it out loud um, but I've, I've thought for a while now that it's odd that a power sharing executive of Sinn Féin and the DUP um, with all the difficulties over there but the, the effort that had been put into coming together the symbolism that was inherent within that in itself didn't actually prioritise peace building and trying to develop a shared society um, even, even trying to work out what we meant by a shared society or a more integrated society that wasn't our it didn't it didn't feel that that was always our priority I'm Peter Sheridan and my, and of Corporation Ireland has said that the executive should have created the Department of Reconciliation for example well I, I think there, there are any number of different ways in which you could you could practically do it but I, I think that and again this is not this is not me saying that people weren't interested and there's lots and lots of evidence of you know whenever Ian Paisley did it symbolically with Martin McGuinness and vice versa and there was a lot of work um, continued on beyond um, that that first big moment in the first sort of couple of months um, so I'm not I'm really conscious I'm not trying to dismiss some of that and the importance of all of that but it, it, it seemed that we were and look we were there were lots of other things happening you know it was it wasn't just one issue there were there was a financial crisis happened at the same time and as we came into government which was unfortunate um, and there were always a, just a day to day issues and then there was our politics intervening yeah it's and all what Macmillan said isn't it when so you're in government yes, right. it's events that derail right. you but I you know and, and maybe it perhaps it I think I think maybe the one, what I'm trying to say is I think that we th- we maybe had a maybe thought that just doing it i.e. power sharing was enough in itself without realising that you have to go much, much further beyond that. Now, you have to be careful, of course. You know, we can't go further than our community any more than Sinn Féin can go further than theirs. But I think there is, there was and there remains, in spite of it all, a yearning for... People don't talk about it as shared society or more integrated, just normality, you know, and that is what they call... Now, there'll be a difference in people's definition of normality, but they, they do just want it. They don't want... Most people don't want... A continuation of what happened before certainly don't want to go back to what happened before and they wanted to be better and they don't want their kids to grow up and their grandkids to grow up in a society which is as divided as the one that they did and I'm not I, I think we we maybe made the mistake of thinking well, look, well, well we're coming together we're working together sure what more do you want mm. and um, I think maybe we were often a bit sort of reluctant in it you know we've often both parties have said, um, well, we don't really want to work with these guys, but, and, you know, and that's, 
that's actually going to be quite a hard one to overcome in, in the short term in the problems that we currently face. But um, you know, I think that there's a, um, I think that there's a um, need to be a lot more clear with people that yes, we don't agree with Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin doesn't agree with the DUP and don't agree with any, you know, they all fall out over different things. Um, but this is for the greater good, the common good, and um, it's for, you know, and, and that's where we need to inject into any new executive. Um, that needs to become our number one priority. Yes, we have to deal with the economy, you have to reform health, you have to deal with education, um, but that's number one. And everything flows in and out from that, and that's the focus. And, and actually, back to your, your your point about what Peter's suggesting, I, I I think that I don't think you. I'm not sure about a department or specific ministers. I actually think your first and deputy first minister, or your ministers for shared society, integration, whatever you want to call it, um, and they should by their example and the example that they set be doing that. And there's lots of evidence of that happening, you know. And, and we sometimes think. think get a little bit preoccupied with how it all collapsed but whether it was uh, Martin was there the whole time but you know whether it was Doc or Peter or Arlene and it was a lot of effort was put in to working together to try to you know, but maybe it could have yes of course it could have been more and I think maybe as I say we need to just make that number one priority all the other things yeah they're important too and they need to be worked on they are the events that happen um, but that needs to be at the top of the list if it's a fifty-year process, what's the next and the next two staging points? Staging points. That's a good question. Um, I don't think I've sort of thought of it in that sense, but I think that that's a yeah. You should be. And again, I think I think sometimes we have. Maybe I can answer it this way. Sometimes I think we have probably tried to get to the end points or points towards the end much quicker than we're actually really ready for. You know, so. If you take something like education, you know, I mean, it is it is seen um, in widely, you know, amongst the public and in, in political circles that, you know, well, if we would only have a more shared or even integrated um, education system, then that would solve all of our problems. Um, yeah, and and that's not something that you just achieve overnight. Um, you know, there've been attempts at it, and again, I think there's a lot of good evidence. There was a report out recently from the Department of Education showing that the tens and tens of thousands of, of, of school kids who were going through various shared education projects. Now, what that produces in the end remains to be seen, but it's a heck of a lot more than whenever I was at, at school. You know, um, we didn't even share anything with the other state school across the other side of the town. You know, um, so you know there has been good progress as been made, but that's with a tendency I think to try to go for the, the big slam dunk. Um, Huge, you know, they are central, big, big, important problems, or big, big problems, and, and ones that if we sorted out, we would be well on the track to having a much more shared society. But you know, sometimes they would we don't recognize or we fail to, to acknowledge that they are there, they're towards the end of those 50 years, they're you know, they're another 10 or 20 years away from where we are now, rather than something that could be done in the first one or two, and even on education. I, I I've been a supporter of, of shared education, even though lots of people will talk about how we need just one system and integrated. I think we need to progress towards that. Um, you can't just do that by saying, right, we're going to close that sector or defund the sector. Well, you wouldn't be permitted to do it anyway, but we can't, you know, it, it can't be a big bang. 
has to be a slow process. What a lot of people say to me is that one of the elements about integration within education is how the past is taught and the fact that, I mean, I've heard a scoop of people say this in a, a, a setting of different schools yeah. from different backgrounds where he was saying, if only history was taught in schools that you understood the hurt, the pain, the disabilities of the mm. individuals within the troubles, so there was a more focus on the shared pain of the past yeah. rather than the political differences of the past. I mean, do you think there's validity in that view? Yeah, I, I think I think the past is a subject that we're clearly still struggling with. The past is, you know, it's wrong to call it the past because it's part of the present and it will be part of our, our, of our future as well. Um, and, and how we would teach it is incredibly sensitive and um, you know, I know from talking to many um, school groups at, at um, my own constituency and the ones that come to, to Stormont from time to time that you know they are taught about Northern Ireland politics and tends to be sort of post ninety eight and how we came together. Um, but there's very little maybe about that. I can you can you can sort of understand why teachers are maybe themselves reluctant to get into it and without a lot of support and guidance and being very very clear because. Somebody will say something. Well, if it was one person, that would be, but lots of them will say the wrong thing, and um, it'll cause controversy. So it needs to be, and that needs to be something probably well thought out on high and passed down. You know, it can't be done on an ad hoc basis. It needs to be sort of very clear structure to that sort of a process. And it seems as if there's a fear about how we talk about the past in case yeah. it sparks things back off. Yeah, and and, and um, that's right, and. and there was a controversy not that long ago. We were calling school up and back up in, in your hometown of Derry. It was not your hometown, but your adopted hometown of Derry, where Martina Anderson was sort of lauded as a, a, a hero, former pupil of the school, you know, and, and that caused a bit of a, a backlash. So that, that, that shows you the difficulty of that interface between the troubles and our education system. But there is a danger, I suppose, the, the, the point and the argument in. in exploring and dealing with the problem is that if we don't do that then it does allow that more ad hoc approach of some individual teacher or schools interpretation I'm not saying interpretation on a political way but just you know that this is somebody gets up and says this is my view effectively and that's that's not being counterbalanced then with the hurt and the pain caused on the other side by the actions of one person or vice versa so so it'd almost be that your preference would be to have people who are specialists, who come from different backgrounds or a neutral background, who come in and perhaps introduce what? victims of the troubles to explain well, how I, the personal suffering. I think I think one of the, I think some, somewhere that I, that that has always struck me around this, it was, and I've had the the privilege actually to, to be at a few of these where you the Holocaust Memorial Trust, the educational, and, and when Peter was at Peter Weir was in education department he um, put a bit of funding in the way to make, make more more school kids um, um, uh, being able to, to attend you know, come over from England or wherever it was that we were coming from to, to sort of just to, to speak and I was at it I've been at a couple and they're incredibly powerful now yes that's coming from that's coming from there is only one perspective but that's coming from the you know incredibly powerful testimonies of people who were in concentration camps survived or got out talking about their families who you know in some cases didn't know what happened or 
do know what happened and it's grim and gruesome stuff and it has a profound nobody leaves that room whether you're my age older or the school children themselves without thinking wondering and appreciating that that was that was awful it was terrible should never happen again now the difficulty of course is that is that is a very very there's a clear sense of right and wrong when it comes to the holocaust um right and wrong in our troubles is you know my right is my my right is different to somebody else's right um so that is a tricky one but you know getting those to I suppose getting the the testimony of people who suffered would have a profound impact I'm sure about it no matter what conflict it was you were talking about um, and what it would I I think it fits into something which I've become increasingly worried about which is that our I think we were all a little bit naive in thinking that um, this was just a generational problem you know that um as people who lived through it and experienced it and perhaps were, vic- were victims or survivors themselves um, got older and um, passed away, that the problem would pass away almost with them. And it hasn't. And, uh, it, it is being passed down. There's lots of science around you know, how this gets passed on, even just through the behaviour of people, the, the, the struggles, the difficulties that victims went through, particularly with their, their mental health and how that, and maybe sometimes into addiction and... and um, they're how they behaved and how that then gets passed on down through generations, but also just the interpretation of it. You know, there is now a romanticism around it. And the other thing is, you seem to have the next generation that feels they have an obligation to fulfil the aspirations of the previous generation, yeah. and that they must not sell them out. That's right. That's exactly right. And 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 also younger people coming through political ranks. And and again, we've all. I bet you you said it. I've certainly said it where oh, we just need a, like a new generation coming through and it'll all be fine. And that's been, that's been shown to be the opposite, actually, is the case in many, many, many... I'm not trying to put everybody in the same basket, but, um, you know, there's a sort of a... I, well, I have to prove myself that I'm as tough as nails and, I, you know, I'm not going to betray the cause. And, oh, and I listen to some of it. I, like, I sort of say this now. Is I, I sort of feel like myself as a an old man nearly in the assembly now and um, I used to be young once and you, you, there is a younger generation has come through in fact there's uh, of course I, you know, people might expect me to pick on Sinn Féin and, and there will be other younger ones in, in my own party's ranks and in other parties too but there are some of what is, is being said is, is being said from couldn't be said from the first hand you know it's mm-hmm. not from personal experience in some cases it is in terms of there's some members who who's Newer members whose family um, were involved or were victims themselves of the trouble, so there is a sort of a, there is an understanding there. But there's others who clearly haven't had that, and it's just a, it becomes a rhetoric. It's just a, you know regurgitation of what they've heard through the years, and there's not the authenticity to it. And, and whenever you know you compare it to as I used to, when I first was in the assembly and I was looking across at people who were in Shin, yes in Sinn Fein but had had a past in the IRA. There was a, a clear whatever they said, and some of sometimes I said stuff that was was offensive or hurtful or completely diametrically opposed to, to, to my viewpoint. But there was a there was a, always a sense of well, we're not going back. We don't want to have that. That's I, you know, we've we've gone through all of that, but we're not going to have another generation go through it. And I'm not saying that some of these younger representatives are, are saying well, well, we'll go back. But there's the tone is different because the experience is different. So there's not a learn. 
you know, there, there's a danger. There is a there is a danger, and we can't just sort of. What I suppose I'm saying is that we can't just sort of take for granted that because they didn't go through the troubles, that some of the rhetoric um, that perhaps led to the troubles or was certainly inflamed the troubles during the, the 30 or so years of, of conflict isn't there again, you know, and, not, and I'm not saying it will fall back into violence or anything as a result of it, but it's not solving itself as generations move through, is the point. Which takes us very neatly on to the last point, which is how do we have the constitutional conversation in ways that are friendly, positive, and yeah. don't take us backwards? Yeah, well, I think, think things are, are clearly very charged at the moment, both in terms of um, the absence of an assembly. So there's not even um, there's not even a place where politicians from across the country can sit and have any sort of a debate. Um, and I'm pretty sure that if, if we were back in business, it might produce a terrible lot, but there would be occasional debates and discussions around the constitutional issue. Um, I always think it was, it was a sign of the, some of the progress that we were making that those were, we had few of the, fairly few debates around the constitutional question over the sort of 10 years that the devolution was, was functioning. Um, but there's nowhere to have that debate. Um, Brexit has obviously produced a fair, well it has, it has brought the issue onto the agenda in terms of constitutional question but not in, a, not in a positive or, um, well, maybe positive is the wrong word to use. I would say not in a positive way, but in a way that has been allowed for a constructive conversation. Um, so I think clearly atmosphere, context is important to all of that. You're not going to get a polite, civilised conversation whenever politics itself is not polite and civilised at this moment in time. So, you know, I think... For a whole host of reasons, I think we need devolution back. You would expect me to say that, of course. Um, but we absolutely do, and it allows us to have... Even the process of getting it back ought to allow a more civilised conversation to develop. See, I'm still the optimist, you know, and, and regardless of what experiences we've had. Um, I, I, th I think there's... I think at the core, no matter what institution or institutions are there that would allow us to have the conversation, there is still a sort of a, there is still a, at, at the core of why we haven't been able to have that, you know, we can almost, it's like, a, it's like, you know, Basil Fawlty, you know, don't, don't talk about the war, you know, and I, we can have civilised conversations about any subject almost except the constitutional issue. Um, and that's when everybody then starts backing into their corners and, 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 and you understand that, and that's, that's, that's historical. But the question then is whether it is more healthy to suppress that discussion or whether you yes. can have it in no, a polite I, and positive way about yeah. you know, arguing the evidence base of which is better yeah, approach. And that's the point I was getting. I, I think that at the minute, um, certainly in recent history, there, there hasn't been a... Once the, once the topic has come up, people start to argue, row, fight, and then just walk away from each other and you know, uh, and then wait for somebody to raise a topic of conversation that you know well, what about the weather or where are you going on your holidays or something um, it's it's not and I, and I think it at its core is perhaps still even after all this time and you see this manifest itself both in language and in actions and how people react to things there is still a lack of appreciation that my 
desire for the constitutional position is as legitimate as somebody else's, which is the opposite, right? So I think broadly, you know, it's it's a very much a zero sum sort of a key. You know, I, I am right and you are wrong. That there is no, and whilst you might, and it's absolutely a right to argue that the other person is wrong, and to do it until your final breath, but to give them the space to make their point without, you know, descending into some sort of uh, name calling. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've done that plenty of times myself. But you know, it, there, there's a, I think. You know, there has been a sort of a prevalence of sort of people saying, well, my view is right, I'm right, and you're just wrong, and I'm not going to listen to you being wrong. And and that's been on both sides, you know. And we need to, I, I think, and this is maybe naive, um, but it doesn't stop me hoping anyway, that there is, most people, regardless of whether the constitutional issue is a hotter issue today than it was, say, pre-EU referendum, isn't really the point. It's 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 still not. Whilst it might be more important and seen as more important, it's still not the most important issue. So there is still far far. There's a slate of issues which are far more important in the minds of the people, whether they are unionist or nationalist mm-hmm. or nothing, that can unite us and bring us together. And that's what we should be. That, that's what we should be focusing on. On that positive note. Simon Hamilton, thank you very much indeed. Okay, so really interesting there from Simon. One of the things I think that struck me uh, listening to him was that um, the peace process were 20 years on, but it might be a 50-year job, as he described it. That's right, Uh, but clearly Simon has some difficulties in mapping out that 50-year process. But what he is saying, and this is one of the themes that I've heard repeatedly from interviewees, is the fact that we, we've we got more problems with intergenerationality of mm. attitudes than we might have assumed. The Good Friday Agreement was agreed between people that were either participants or very close to participants in the conflict. And we are now in a situation where you've got the next generation or even two generations down the line, but they still locked to a large extent in the same attitudes of people, the generation that were participants in the conflict and yeah. that I think I think Simon's saying and other people have said really is probably something that wasn't fully recognized at the time of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement we ha- don't have a sufficient strategy for how we move on and Simon is making the point that you have MLAs who still have very much the same um, communal attitudes that the people who were involved in the conflict were mm. and the other thing which Simon has said um, privately to me is the fact that the re- because the assembly isn't sitting it is very difficult for MLAs to build up personal relationships that go outside of the political parties and yeah. that this is a barrier to bringing a solution to the deadlock within our political system in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I think he kind of referenced that as well when he said um, whenever they were getting on and doing it it kind of helped but the, yes. that maybe one of the uh, shortcomings, if you like, of the process to date over the last 20 years is the peace building and development of society maybe doesn't get the priority that it should have had. 
That's right. Um, and, and we heard this also in one of the other interviews um, with uh, Peter Sheridan from Corporation Ireland, where he's saying uh, that he believes there should be a Department of Reconciliation yeah. within government. And actually, of course, we've also had uh, an academic report uh, since then also saying that we need to have a Department of Reconciliation. And so, yeah, uh, so Simon is also saying the fact that that hasn't been the priority. Mm. But also, I think he's saying that on the one level, we haven't structurally done enough to bring society together, but also on a personal level between the politicians of different backgrounds and different parties, there hasn't been that same focus. Mm. And we're now in a situation where some of these interviews have been recorded, not this one, but others, uh, within Stormont. And Stormont's a very dead place. You have some tourists there, you have security guards there, you have the odd MLA going in, but it's really not a functioning building. And because it's not a functioning building, you don't have MLAs from different parties bumping into each other in the cafe, having yeah. a chat, building relationships, and that being the basis on which you build the future. And worse than that, many of the MLAs are now new. So some of the MLAs don't even know each other. So you don't have those personal connections that help you build the future. You can't have uh, polite and civilised conversations when politics at the minute aren't polite and civilised. Well, that's right. And also when you're not even meeting people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode of our Forward Together podcast. Thanks to Simon uh, for meeting with Paul, Dean Doherty for production support. And we look forward to being in touch with you again very soon. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.